from Byron, Mississippi. It's Lakeshore Church. And now we join Pastor Jay Frazier for today's message. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6, beginning in verse number 14. Pretty lengthy, but uh, it, 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 it tells a story, all right? Don't become partners with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Belial? Or what does a believer have, have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will dwell and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch any unclean thing, and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you and will be your sons, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Chapter 7. So then, dear friends, since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. I love these next two verses. They're different. You don't really hear them much, but just the wording is phenomenal. Make room for us in your, prayer, in your hearts. We have wronged no one, corrupted no one, taken advantage of no one. I don't say this to condemn you since I have already said that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together when we need change. Let's pray. We, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to, today. But most of all, God, we want to be your words. We want to say your words. We want to have your thoughts. And all of us here would walk in obedience to what we hear I pray, God, for that one, as I believe very clearly that you placed it on our heart for today, for this hour, God, for change. If there's something that I need to change, God, that you will start anew in my life today and bring it to fruition. And God, will be careful to praise you now, and God, forever, we'll praise you. For we ask it and pray it in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Many of you have known us for our entirety here. Um, it's something that I don't say much. Um, it, it's, it's one of those things I studied years ago about using God's name in vain to say that God told me or I'm supposed to do this or that or God's leading me. That's just not some words that I say because I know the severity of them. But I will say for today that if I've ever sat here or stood here in front of people, I believe this is the message for this hour. About four, I think, out of the last seven nights uh, of this last week, um, I've awakened with this thought on my mind. I've also been bombarded with, and bombarded is a strong word, but have dealt with several different issues. And maybe from afar, maybe somebody has asked us to pray, and when I hear about that prayer request, I think, man, this comes to mind. It's this thing of change. And I think it's been so misrepresented in the church. Uh, I'm going to say some things like watered down and things like that, that that people might say, oh, that's pretty bold. But I do believe there's part of the gospel has been watered down and it's this arena of change. When I think of, of that, I, I think it's not just sin. It's not just whether we live right. I think sometimes we forget that I got to create an environment. I got to create accountability in my life for that encounter I have with God to work. And I want to expound on that today. So if today you've come and, and maybe it's just you blindsided, all of a sudden the spirit of God comes over you and you realize, wait a second, this is accurate. I need to change some arena in my life. I want to help you do that. And I'm guilty a lot of times as a pastor that we don't, we don't help people get there. We're, we're good to spew it out and sling it. 
But then how do we give the application? And I, I'm going to help you with application, good Lord willing, today. When I think about change, I, I think about uh, Leo Tolstoy. Uh, Tolstoy, how do you say that name? But I, I did some reading, and, and there have been times I've used people, and, and, and you folks love me, and it's great, and some people watch on TV, and then they think it's their responsibility to correct me, and that's fine. Um, but sometimes we use people, you know, and, and I go and look, and, and they're not dynamic Christians. Some of them are secular but I love, the, I love the saying nonetheless. But Tolstoy actually gave a place for Christianity. He was Russian and, and did some great things. He wrote some great pieces that were produced and all these things, novels that he wrote. But he said this, and we've heard it maybe all of our life, most of our life. He said, everybody wants to change the world, but nobody wants to change himself. And many times that's what happens is it's easier for us to have an opinion about someone else changing. But what about our change? What about something that God would want to do in my life that makes me more presentable. It, it, it creates that within my life that brings glory and honor to the Lord. Our hope has changed today. I don't know if you think about it in that terms, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul wrote it this way. If any person's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and the, and the new has come, you know, and, and understanding that and, and receiving that. So if we're going to be right with God, if we're going to be born again, as Nicodemus was seeking out, and when Jesus told him that you got to be born again, we got to change. To get to heaven, we got to change. So not only is it a change that happens inside of me, but there's also the change literally from this life to the next. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 and 52, he, he talks about, he says, again, he says, listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we'll all be, what? Changed. And you think about it, we just sang about it. Oh, glorious day. One day, the trump of God's going to sound. And the dead in Christ are going to be raised. I've thought that hundreds of times, literally hundreds of times, at a, at just about every time I go to a cemetery. I've used to say this. It'd be neat to be weed-eating at the cemetery when the rapture happens, wouldn't it? Just the thought of not having to weed-eat anymore would be all right with me. I got Zane at home now. He's my weed-eater. But listen to me. It's amazing. It'd be neat. Because right before those that are alive in Christ and, and are breathing and are still alive, the dead in Christ are going to be raised out of the ground. And then it says immediately, those after us, after them, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. Whoa, glorious day. Amen? Glorious day. Change. So you got to change to be right with God. You just don't warm up to it. And you got to change to get to heaven, literally. You, you, you change from laying down this old tin of clay and taking up our heavenly body. It's amazing. C.S. Lewis, I think of him a lot. Uh, I probably watched more movies that he wrote about than books he read that he wrote. But I've read some of his books too. But C.S. Lewis, I think about him a lot. He comes up a lot when you're searching things out. He said this. It's really neat. You got to listen. You got to watch this and listen carefully, all right? It may be hard for an egg to turn into a bird. <laughs> it would be a jolly sight harder for a bird to learn to fly while remaining an egg. <laughs> Pretty good stuff, isn't it? We are like eggs at present. And you cannot go on indefinitely being just an ordinary, decent egg. We must be hatched or go bad. It's about change. <laughs> so some would say, and I've already alluded to it, all right, I need to change, Brother Jay. Uh, we saw a move, great move in the first service, and I don't go by numbers and all that, but, but really and truly, I, I think the reason that God's awakened me these nights, I really think this is for this hour. I think on the sound of our voice today and even listening on our social media platforms, I think there are people that will say, hey, I need to change. And it's not just spiritually. It's not just sin. I'm going to give you some examples of other change too. 
See, there's some things that we need to change in our everyday life so that we give off the right signals and show people Christ in our life. Hmm. So if you need to change something, I want to give you a three-part answer to it, okay? It's three words. Thought about this for decades, and it's just for this hour, all right? So if if you're going to change, this is what you got to have. The first thing that you got to have is you must have an encounter. Must have an encounter. That moment in time, so for some people, it's an awakening. They get sick of the way things are. Maybe it's a shaking. Maybe it has a negative connotation to it that reality is, is, is full in your face. It's revealed to you what's really going on. <laughs> Give you some examples. Maybe it's when they shut the door on the back seat of the police car. That could be an awakening, amen? Uh, I wouldn't ask for a show of hands if you've ever experienced that. Maybe it's when you're in front of a judge. There have been a few times as a pastor I've been asked to go as, into the courtroom with people because they're going through things and, and, and seeing that, that scenario, that environment. Maybe it's a piece of mail that you get and those infamous letters, big bold letters on the right side of the envelope when it says IRS. If you get an IRS envelope and you feel good about it, something's wrong with you. I just want you to know something. Most time that means I messed up on my taxes or something like that. Maybe it's a doctor's diagnosis. Have you ever sat there and the test came back? Zane and I were sitting in a doctor's office this past weekend. We both got news that either one of us liked to hear. I think he enjoyed the news I got a lot more than, you know, than his news. But a doctor's diagnosis, when will they tell you what this is what they found out or hadn't found out? It might even be something like a church service today. Maybe it's a Bible passage I do believe this, and I'll tell you that I really believe there are times that people lay down the Word of God because the encounters they're having they don't like. And I want to remind you that sometimes when you read God's Word, it's not all just wonderful sunshine. Sometimes it's God loving us enough that He's disciplined us through His Word. Amen? And so a lot of times what happens, people say, well, wait a second. I don't like that encounter, so I'm just going to lay down the encounter piece in my life. And that's what happens a lot of times. And if we don't watch it, all of a sudden, something that God created to be normal in our life becomes abnormal. we got to have those encounters. Yes, it starts. <laughs> I believe we need to understand that it's always been a part of that way. The Old Testament and New Testament are literally, there are hundreds of individuals that you could sum it up. I preached on them a whole year one time about encounters that people had with the Lord. Moses had one, and Abraham had one, and Isaiah, and, and, and Paul, the rich young ruler, The reason I put him in there is sometimes the encounter doesn't lead anywhere because we don't make the right choice. The rich young ruler had an encounter with Jesus Christ, but he went away grieved because he had great riches, so he didn't get where he needed to go. Hmm. Nicodemus did. He was the first one to hear John 3.16. King Agrippa did when he said, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. So he had an encounter. Oh, wow. Then there's the Samaritan woman at the well. I wrote it down this way for us just to get it, that anything of significance starts with an encounter. It does. You just think about everyday life. You hear this a lot from me. It's the first time I met Susanna. I'm I'm reminiscing. We just had our 33rd wedding anniversary this past week. That's a long time for her to put put up with me, isn't it? Amen? Think about it. But anything starts with an encounter. Any of you, the first time we met or our friendships, it it starts with an encounter. And it's the same thing with, with God. I also did this, and I just thought about how old I was, what age I was when I've had some major encounters with the Lord. And I just want you to hear this. When I was seven, I accepted the Lord as my Savior. That, that's a great encounter. That's an eternal encounter. When I was 14, God called me to preach very, very plainly, distinctly. When I was 18, I officially committed my all to do what God wanted me to do with my life and calling on my life. Hmm. On and on it goes. When I was 23, I moved from one church to another. When I was 45, we moved from another church to this church. 
major times. One that, that I missed when I was 36, we had a major tragedy that happened in my life, in our life, in our families, and extensions of our families. And it really was a, an amazing encounter I had with God. God really broke me down to the, to, to the bare minimum of my life so that he could build me the way I needed to be. And then, of course, this past year at 56, we've been some, through some things that have been major encounters of asking God, where are you? And I'm trusting you and depending on you for things in our life. You must have an encounter. But, folks, it doesn't just stop with an encounter. I think it's one of the dangers of the world that we live in today that if we can just have an encounter, if we can just have information, then we're okay with that. But that's just the beginning. When we have an encounter, we got to do something with it. And I believe an encounter leads to the second thing. If you're going to change, you got to have an environment change. Someone said it best, if you do what you've always done, you will have what you've always had. So many have an encounter. But many times nothing changes. I wrote this down, change on the inside must lead to changes on the outside. And so many people miss this. Early on in ministry, I, I would stay away from that because I wouldn't want to offend and they'll go to another church and they'll do this and they'll do that and, and it'll, they'll have hurt feelings. But what I've come to find out is, is before I get to heaven, God changes me on the inside and he expects me to allow him to lead me to change on the outside. Hmm. Wow. Remember this is that the, the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son is when he was in the hog pen. Do y'all remember the parable when he came to himself, it says, and he realized the servants had it better at my dad's house and I squandered it all away. And he throws his leg over the fence and says, I'm going to my daddy's house. And, and you know the story. And daddy's sitting on the porch waiting on him. That's a phenomenal story. But to extract out one point that is never talked about in that is that in the story of the parable of the prodigal son, he didn't go back to the hog pen after he was restored to his family. So many people wonder today why it didn't take, why it, there's nothing to it. There's people today that say all oh, that salvation stuff and church folk stuff and Christianity stuff, there's nothing to it. They find somebody that, that, that still lives in all this stuff and they really know different than they are and they say there's nothing to it. It's just some kind of mode of behavior. They're not talking about a heart failure. They're not talking about an encounter. Well, I coin it this way. Many times what is, is what I call it's the same. They have an encounter with God, but yet they live in the same house. There's nothing changed in the house. They have an encounter with God and, and the vices and habits don't change. They have an encounter with God and they run with the same people. They have an encounter with God and they run the same places. I can marry very distinctly and there are people that I know and, and, and I want to apologize in advance if they're offended by what they're fixing to hear me say on, on Facebook and all the other social stuff is, is this because they're not here and I've known them for years. There were people in my life that for me to live like God wanted me to live, for me to take the stand that I needed to take in the encounter I had with God, I had to change my environment. I couldn't run with the same folks and say, I know Jesus Christ. There were places I had to quit going. I had to change my environment. Mm. There, were, there were things that had to change. And today what we've done is we've so magnified the grace of God and the love of God and the mercy of God, and they are. <laughs> There's nothing short about God's love. But we got to also remember that God expects things of me. Hmm. He expects if I have an encounter with him and he changed my life, he changed my destination, he expects me to change my life for him. Not to spend all my time excusing it under the precipices of God's grace being extended to me. He expects an environment change to back up the encounter I had with him. <clears throat> wow. Must change our environment. 
A great illustration is if a person realizes they have a problem with alcohol, it's probably in their best interest not to hang out at a bar. A person is having a problem with illicit stuff. Let me tell you something. A couple of months ago, I downloaded TikTok. I wanted to work on my golf game. I had to wade through a lot of stuff to get to a golf out, uh, app part of it or whatever because of all the junk that's out there. And so people that are susceptible and have whatever arena in their life, you have to change your environment if you're going to live it. If you think God's going to fix it so much that you can sit right in the middle of the cesspool of that stuff and live right, it's never going to happen. Because you must, the text says, come out from among them and be separate and don't touch that mess. Brother Jay, did it say mess? In my loosely translated version, it did. Again, that's what it says. I'll give you one more. And I just wrote this out. I want you to see it. You got to put yourself in a place of victory versus a place of vulnerability. Don't that to sink in. That word vulnerable has just stuck with me in this sermon. So many people go, why am I just taking all these darts? And why am I taking all these temptations? And why? A lot of times it's the environments we put ourselves in. Hmm. I knew it'd be quiet. But we're talking about change, folks. We're talking about living a life that brings glory and honor to the Lord. We're talking about affecting people around us that don't know Christ and you know him. If we sound like them and walk with them and live like, like, walk like them and talk like them and live like them, and how will they ever see the difference that the encounter of Jesus Christ made on the inside if I don't demonstrate that on the outside of my life? Then third, when I think of change, you got to have accountability. There's a great passage that Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 4. It'd be very familiar to you if you've been around church at all. Here it is. It's good stuff. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. Two are better than one. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Isn't that great verses? Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person alone keep warm? And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. See, God looked on his entire creation and said, the only thing that's not good, I don't know if it was, you're not going to like what I'm fixing to say, but I don't know if that was an afterthought of God. You know, God is omniscient. He knows all things, but yet he looked at Adam. I'm created by himself, and he said, it's not good, and Adam's not here by himself. I got I to create someone, for, so he created Eve for him. And, you know, we, don't, we, we might not like to hear this. And there have been times, and I've taken a little liberty to say this, and it's not in Lakeshore Church, so, so please don't look around and wonder who I'm talking about. It was a long time ago, there was a guy that, that, that said to me, he said, listen, I'm married, but my wife, she has no right to know what I'm doing and where I'm going. I wanted to give him the great wisdom of my mother when I, I wanted to say to him, have you lost your ever-loving mind? The scripture very plainly says that 33 years and, and a couple of days ago, Suzanne and I committed our lives to each other, and we are two fleshes as one. Is that not strong? That means she's 50% of me. This will help you in marriage class. If you, if you do something to them, if you hurt them, it's going to come back on you 50% of it. Do you hear me? Because you're hurting yourself. And so in this thing of accountability, marriage is built in to have accountability. That's, wow. Well, let me tell you this. Did you know there's two institutions that God created and it's not Whitfield? Did you know that? I grew up in Milledgeville, Georgia, and they actually called it an institution. And so that's the reason that comes to mind, just a little lightness. But listen to me, two institutions. The first was marriage. The other one that God instituted was the church. And folks, we need to hear this. Well, they don't have a right to know what I'm doing. Yes, they do. It's called accountability. Because we're the body of Christ. Huh? If part of my body's hurting, doesn't the rest of it know it? 
<laughs> you got a headache, doesn't it affect the rest of you? If that old midsection's hurting, isn't the rest of it affected? I mean, you can, you can drop a hammer on, your, on your, one of your fingers and it'll, it'll ruin your whole day. You know why? Because it's a body. And see, this body illustration works in the arena of accountability too. Oh, you're judging me. I would like that one. You're meddling. Here's the thought about judging. The scripture says judge others the way you'd want to be judged. And let me tell you what I do know. If I was lost today and didn't know Christ, I, can't, I couldn't hardly get it out of the first service. I would hope you would judge me as lost and live Christ in front of me. Pray for me. Share the gospel with me. Do something unique to unlock the spiritual part of my life. Judge me as being lost. The world loves to run behind that one. As soon as we try to make somebody accountable, you don't, you're not supposed to be judging. Scripture says that. And they, they show you how much they don't know of the word of God. See, even the word tells us, Jesus reminds us that, that the fruit on the tree shows us what kind of tree it is. You must be accountable. Hmm. Here, here's here's a, a great reminder. Uh, if you show me a loner, I'll show you vulnerable. If you, if you ever watch the Discovery Channel, National Geographic, I, I don't know which channel it comes on. I was talking about Bowie. Watch, we talked about a lot of that through the years. You, you ever see that little gazelle that gets, you know, that gets it from the cheetahs? You watch, they run and they run and they run and those, they're, they're just after them. You know what's noticeably absent when they do that is the rest of the herd. They're all by themselves. And they run and run and run, and those, those things are just, those preys are after them. I believe I'm correct when I say this. One of the issues that the child of God has with living the Christian life is we try to do it all by ourselves. You say, well, Brother Jay, I, I don't know if I agree with you. Let me ask you something. How, how much do you know me? How much do I know you? The person on your right and left, how much do they know you? Is there still things you might be sitting with your spouse, and do they know everything about you? Do they know your inner struggles? Do they know how far you've gotten away from God or how close you are to God? Do they know what moves you and, and depress you or, or glory in you? Do, do they know? I would dare say a lot of times we, we, we've sucked into the world's philosophy that nobody really knows us. We're just going to be this little storefront. And we're going to give this, this appearance of what we have, but what we really are might be far from that. And many times we just want to be by ourselves. <laughs> And yet God looked at his creation and said, Adam being by himself is not good. This might hurt a little bit, but he could spend time with birds and animals and plants and all kind of creation. But it still wasn't good because he was the only one of his kind. Hmm. So there's your change. Brother Jay, if somebody wants to change, how do they change? Here's how they change. You've got to have an encounter. That's the reason we have an altar. Hmm. That's the reason we have an altar, for you to have an encounter. How long has it been since you had an encounter? Would I be bold enough to ask you if you've ever had an encounter? See, let me tell you something. You're not going to get to heaven just by happenstance. You can't be good enough to get there. It's an encounter you have with Jesus Christ. Could you take me to that encounter? I've already said it. It's going to be in about five minutes. That's the reason we have an altar in front of this church. And it's never leaving as long as I'm the senior pastor here. Amen? Come on, folks. Let's wake up. Let's go. You with me? Because it's imperative that we have encounters with Jesus Christ in our life. Wow. Here's where I want to end. Hmm. I'll show you a verse of scripture today. James chapter 5, verse number 16. In my own personal time with the Lord some years ago, it wasn't, it wasn't a sermon when this happened. It was my own reading one day. This, this verse just blew me away. I've been fascinated with healing my entire life. 
Okay, how does that work? And many people believe, historians believe, some do in church, that that was the first century. That's long gone. That's not a part of the church. I don't believe that for one bit. I believe we're still living in the same dispensation of grace post-Pentecost as they were five minutes after Pentecost. And I believe that's where we live today. But so why don't healings take place? been fascinated with it. And here's, here's what it is. Therefore, watch this verse. Here's James right. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. And I remember one day, I, I was just reading over this. Maybe I was teaching, preaching. But I remember this was just my own individual time. I thought, wow. Because listen, what we would do, in our, if, if we wrote it, we would just put, pray one for another so that you may be healed. <laughs> the effects of fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much or much will happen. But yet that's not what the word of God says. The word of God says, confess your faults one to another. And let me tell you how far the world is one on us. You, you ready? Well, Brother Jay, there's no way I could stand up in front of in Lakeshore Church today and confess my sins. There's no way. People be on their phone so quick, he'd be out there on social media. Let me tell you what so-and-so did today. And, and we tell our best friend, and then they tell their best friend, and then they tell their best friend, and so all of our best friends know it. Are you following me? So what we do, we become very individual. We have these little storefront facades that we put on, and we sit here, and we're all cleaned up, and everybody thinks we get it to, got it together. And yet the Word of God, could it be, listen to me, could it be that God desires to create healings and perform healings, but we don't get real with each other? We don't. We clean up well on Sunday. But maybe there's struggle after struggle going on with us. We need God to radically touch our lives. But because we play these games, I thought about it in the first service and I said, Roger White, Roger and Judy White stay on my mind a lot if you, don't, if you know them. Roger just passed and Judy's going through a lot. Some of the best folks God put on this earth that I met as, as pastor here. But Roger was interim choir director when we moved here and they sang a song one of the first weeks I was ever here and, and it was entitled Playing Games at the Foot of the Cross. We're just playing games at the foot of the cross. While Jesus was dying for humanity and to cover our sins with his blood, we're just like the soldiers. We're just playing games at the foot of the cross. We want enough of God to get to heaven. We want fire insurance, but we really don't want to live close to the heart of God before we get there. Just playing games. Just playing games. Want enough of him to be able to spend eternity in heaven and not go to hell. But what about the environment while we're still here? Just playing games. It was a Sunday just like this several years ago. At that time, I taught a Sunday school class. We were on this journey. I'd been asking them, and this verse was part of it. I said, what would it take for us to have revival? I'm not talking about going to get a preacher for four nights and say, man, we had revival. Good service tonight. Good service. And I'm talking about revival. When bring, people bring the crud and stuff of their life to the Lord and say, God, I want something new. I'm tired of just being mediocre. I want more. What would it take to have revival? What would it take to see people healed? There's a lady in the church. She's probably a little, a little older than me. One Sunday she said, uh, Brother Jake, can I say something? And we were right along the lines right where I am in this. I said, sure. She said, for a long time in my life, any chance I get, I, I, I smoke dope on a regular basis. Or, or she said, I smoke dope when I can, not regular basis, when I, when I can. And something amazing happened. She was weeping. She said, I've never told anybody that I've been saying I've been doing right and all this, and I haven't. 
And she just confessed it. And that day, (laughs) other people began to confess stuff. And you know what I noticed? The more we confessed, the more real God got with us. I just wonder, folks, listen to me, and I'm through. I wonder what God would do if we got real with him. Watch this. And we got real with each other. I invite you to visit lakeshorecmc.org to find out more online. That's lakeshorecmc.org.